Blog Talk Radio. time to listen in tonight and uh, taking the time to to gather here with your with your friends and and listen to the things that that maybe we can do to help our nation i mean that's that's kind of the goal of uh, the whole reason that I do this show i don't I don't want to uh I don't really want to talk about uh, trivial things. I don't really want to. Uh, I don't really want to talk about a whole lot of things other than than how we could possibly make things right with our nation. We have made things right in the past, the history of America, and the things that we've done as a nation, uh, and then uh, also the things that the things that we can do now. Uh, to prepare for an eventuality of where where things don't go right. Uh, if you notice, we had the uh, Credence intro music again tonight, and uh, that's not that's not me doing it. I've got the Credence music on the uh, on the switchboard, and. Uh, nor we use the poker face music for intro. <clears throat> and 
and as far as I knew, that's what I uh, that's what I did again tonight when I loaded the show up was schedule the poker face music, and instead it was credence music. And I don't know, I really don't even know where it came from. And one time a while back, I used uh, credence for the Battle Road uh, Running Gun video. <clears throat> Normally use poker face, and I want to thank. Uh, uh, Paul and the rest of the guys from Poker Face for letting us use the music because uh, they don't uh, charge us anything for, for the use of the intro music, and we really appreciate it. They're a great group of guys. If you want to uh, listen to more of the music, uh, like the song Control, which is what usually plays when we come into the show, then uh, you can go to uh, PokerFace.com and uh, listen to more of the music they have. They have a lot of great music. Uh, tonight... <laughs> In just a little while, we're going to be talking about the the troubles that we're in, the, the things that seem to be going wrong with the nation, the political scandals, the endless wars that uh, that are sucking the the country dry financially that have killed thousands of American soldiers and wounded over one million other American soldiers. That's right, one million. Uh, some of them severely. The mishandling of uh, the American finances, I don't know. I, I mean, if everybody in the nation... Uh, if they could get some type of a uh, you know a good decent class uh, and some kind of a decent explanation of exactly what America is doing to itself right now financially, I, I think that uh, I, I think that there would be an, an immediate revolution. I mean, an, an immediate uh, even if need be armed response because what we're doing, what our government is doing, and and us, by proxy, because we're allowing them to do it, what our government is doing is is nothing less than a horrible criminal act. It's being perpetrated not just against us, not just against America, but against every nation that is aligned with us and that's locked in with us. Uh, and what we're seeing now is many of those nations scrambling to divest themselves of the American dollar, to get away, get away from what looks to be like uh, the sinking ship. And I don't blame them. Uh, you know, I really don't blame them because while, uh, while I'm sure that, uh, that our media decides uh, what we get fed, what kind of uh, dosage we're going to get of the truth or the lies, uh, when other countries are reporting on America, they have uh, they have a lot less skin in the game, and a lot of times the the information, the reporting is a lot more genuine, a lot more honest, and a lot scarier. If you watch uh, some of the other uh, national news, <clears throat> I think you'd really be surprised at. Uh, at at the things that you'll hear in that nation about uh, about the things that America do or is doing, and the things that you won't hear here, you won't hear in America. That's what I mean. Uh, 
the the American media is 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 to the point that it's just a joke, just a, a horrible, terrible parody of itself, and and it's an absolute joke. You know, I was watching. Uh, uh, what is the show with the uh, where America has a, in the future idiocracy? That's it. I was watching the idiocracy the other day, and I I swear I couldn't help but think that uh, that I knew some of those folks ourselves to become dumbed down, and on top of that. There is the information overload. Uh, hundreds of millions of stories uh, every day, all across the nation, all across uh, the world, and there's no way for you to, to digest it all. There's no way to back up far enough so that you can see the big picture, so that you can see what's going on. And you know, that's one of the things that the government counts on is that that they, they are, you're being so overloaded with scandals and corruption and criminal acts performed by our government that, uh, that there's no way that you would believe that, that, that it could be true, that it could be occurring on such a, a, a terribly large scale. And yet it is. If I'm sure that you could have a 24-hour news channel like they do have now, but a 24-hour news channel that uh, that did nothing but report uh, scandals and crime, and it wouldn't have to uh, repeat the same stories every 30 minutes. It could repeat new ones. Uh, and I don't know what the answer is. I wish, I wish I had some kind of a clue that I could give you some kind of a, some kind of a magic word or a, uh, you know, a discount code that you could plug in that uh, we could start plugging in, and it would start writing the ship. You know, it would start making it right. But I don't know if there is anything that we can do. We can keep, and I'm certainly, I certainly am in no way uh, advocating any kind of a surrender or any kind of a uh, giving up on the nation. Far from it. If anything, I would say that we would need to redouble our efforts. That being said, you know, I don't know that, I don't know that it's going to have uh any great lasting effect. Uh, there's a possibility that uh, that the only way it's going to get fixed is for it to completely uh, collapse. You know, for it to completely collapse and then and start anew. I mean, that's uh, certainly a possibility. Uh, 
we'll talk more about uh, about the scandals and the and the financial situation and the wars in in just a moment. <clears throat> uh, I'd like to give folks uh, a chance to uh, to call in and thank their local Appleseed Project crews. If uh, folks have anything they would like to get out uh, over there to the rest of the Appleseed population, then we'd love to hear it. You can call in. Our call-in number is 347-308-8790. 347-308-8790. If you want to, uh, to give an after-action report, or if you want to uh, thank some of your local crew members, if you'd like to uh, talk about an upcoming event, then uh, we'd love to hear about it. Uh, if you have some, uh, if you have, if you'd like to uh, to scream and yell about some of the things that are going on uh, nationally, then uh, then certainly tonight, by all means, feel free to because uh, because uh, we've got to do something. Okay, and uh, and though screaming and yelling doesn't help as far as getting something fixed, uh, maybe some of the things that uh, that you know uh, are things that the rest of the your neighbors don't know, and uh, and maybe they need to know. All right, so you're welcome to call in and uh, and give your uh, give your local folks thanks. Uh, and once again, the number is three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. And listen, when the call screener uh, opens your mic and uh, and starts to ask you questions, as he's doing that off the air. So, if you don't want to go on the air, then let him know. He'll you know he'll you can talk to him off of the air, uh, but don't just not answer. Okay, uh, that gives uh, Sam uh, that gives him uh, a red hiney. All right. Who uh, that has been here all week uh, taking the precision rifle sniper course? Uh, that's a course that Battle Road has uh, run this uh, last week. And uh, John Hawes, uh, he's an Appleseed uh, instructor, also Bolgun 71. He's been here teaching uh, the precision rifle sniper course and. Uh, the guys are really doing great. They uh, they just got through just a few moments ago with the uh, low light and night shooting, and uh, they ran the stress tests today. This is where you're you got the guys starting out at uh, 600 yards, and then there are targets starting at about 100 yards, uh, all the way back out to 600. Golf, uh, they've got about 100 150 yard. Uh, uh, run to get to their starting point, and then once they're at the starting point, then uh, they're going to shoot straight through at uh, I think it's about a dozen steel targets at unknown distances. That means they're going to have to uh, rapidly uh, estimate the range to the target, use the use their range estimation and any wind data uh, to make corrections and then take the shot as rapidly as possible until they get a hit on steel. 
and then they move to the next position, and it keeps going till they get to uh, the speed wall, which is uh, a 50-foot-long wall with nine shooting positions on it. All the positions are very awkward under a uh, under a boarded barrier. Uh, you'll have to stand on some uh, some blocks and shoot to the top of a window. Uh, you'll have to lay on your belly or your side and shoot under a, uh, a very low uh, railroad tie while you're laying on a a pad of rocks that are uh, large flint rocks about the size of uh, baseballs and oranges. You'll have to lay on that and make a shot. And uh, it just keeps going. Nine stations at all. Uh, and they'll have to make hits at targets at unknown distances. They'll have to be using their best guess for the distance and then apply the corrections and make the shot. <laughs> that was today. We had uh, a, a really great day of uh, uh, range estimation classes. Uh, and then practical problem solving that. Uh, we had the guys up uh, uh, at the front edge of the range, uh, and then we had uh, we had them measure all the different things on a vehicle, on a, on a truck, the windows, the tires, the license plate, uh, windshields, uh, side panels, everything like that. And then the truck was uh, driven out to different distances. Uh, all the way out past a quarter of a mile away, and they would have to use first their best uh, estimate by eye, and then uh, uh, they would uh, then they would use their scope to uh, to try and get the range on the uh, by uh, using their mill scope, and then. Uh, after that was a practical exercise in shooting, uh, using and measuring the targets through their scopes, and then using that along with a uh, with a formula, a mathematical formula, to determine the range, and then taking the range, applying the range data to their uh, shot, and then making the shot. So it's been a great week. Uh, tomorrow there'll be uh, uh, in the morning, there'll be some close-in shooting because uh, uh, John Hawes had uh, several deployments, and you know he's often been asked, "What's a good, uh, you know, what is a good average distance, you know, that people normally have engagements at, you know, in combat combat engagements?" And the answer is, is there is no average distance. You'll have to be able, you'll have to be ready to engage the enemy at ranges from uh, 10 feet to 1,100 yards. And there was no there was no average distance that it occurred at. And that means that uh, you need to be ready to take close-in shots with your uh, precision rifle. And uh, we went through this uh, at the beginning of the year, and uh, and it was a really great exercise. We were... Starting at uh, 100 yards, and uh, we would be given uh, uh, three rounds uh, at the target. Uh, two rounds had to go into the chest, one into the bridge of the nose, 
I believe you had uh, 10 seconds to make the three shots, one from standing, one from kneeling, and then one prone. You make a shot into the center of mass standing, a shot center mass kneeling, and a shot into the bridge of the nose prone from 100 yards, 75 yards, 50 yards, and 25 yards. And I believe it was 15 seconds at each, uh, for each stage. <clears throat> and that's to help you uh, ensure that you can make very rapid uh, close-in shots with your precision rifle. So this course uh, has worked out really well. I think the people who have taken it have been uh, very uh, satisfied with it. The group that came through, uh, I believe there was eight of us that came through in uh, April, and uh, every single one of us were, were very happy, very excited with that course. And, uh, and very quickly, I'll let you know that we have... Uh, we still have we have a couple of CHL courses and I believe a shotgun fighting shotgun course coming before the end of the year. And we don't have January scheduled yet, but in April, uh, in April we, well, let's see, in February, in February we have uh, John Hurth, retired uh, Special Forces uh, A team. And uh, he was the head instructor and the lead at the United States Army uh, Combat Tracking School in Fort Huachuca, Arizona, Battle Road, to give a five-day combat tracking course. And let me tell you, man, the having the skills uh, to read sign, to be a tracker is... Uh, it is an absolutely uh, an absolutely needed skill, uh, and I know it doesn't seem like it. Or you're, I'm sure a lot of people are asking, "What in the world would I do with the tracking skills?" Listen, uh, to have the ability to tell where somebody's going or where somebody has gone, uh, how many of the folks are in the group, what they were, what they had with them what their possible uh, uh, plan of action is, uh, all of these things are very, very important skills to have. Now, for the uh, uh, for current military and law enforcement, there is a, uh, I believe there's a $50 discount on the $700 course. And uh, <clears throat> if you are currently serving, and uh, see if you can't get your, uh, if you can't get your command to pay, to put you on TDY and to pay for the course. And uh, same thing with law enforcement. Uh, there shouldn't be any reason you can't, uh, you're, can't figure out how your department can, uh, can pay for you to get this course. And, uh, and I'll, put the, I'll put the link up. Uh, Sam, if you could... Uh, well, I'll, I'll do it in just a second. Uh, see, we've got a call. I'll put the call on it. While he's talking, I'll try and put the link up in the chat room and then give you guys the the, uh, address for where it is. But that will be in February. And then uh, uh, March isn't completely done yet. In April, uh, April is already pretty filled up right now. We've got the April 19th uh, shoot for Appleseed. We've got the run and gun. Uh, in April also. That's the 4.5 mile looping course. 
with uh, eight shooting stations for rifle and pistol, uh, as well as obstacles, which will have to be negotiated between each of the shooting stations. And then uh, we will also, time, have either before or after the run, we'll have Man Alone Tactical out of uh, Beaufort, South Carolina. They'll be showing up to uh, to teach a four-day course. The course is called a pre-deployment expansion course. Now, this is, uh, it was originally designed for folks who are getting ready to deploy. You know, a lot of folks that are working uh, uh, maybe in embassy security or uh, base security and stuff like that. It's got uh, uh, all of the stuff you'll need. Uh, four days of pistol work. The pistol work will be solid throughout the course, as well as uh, one day will be battlefield pickup. That's including uh, AKs and stuff like that, things that you might have to grab off the ground and start shooting with, uh, and then two days of your uh, combat carving, in four-time carving. And uh, I believe if you don't have a carbine but you still wanted to take the course, uh, as long as you brought your ammunition, I think that, uh, that Mitch said he would be bringing uh, quite a few uh, Daniel Defense M4 carbines that, uh, that we could possibly loan out to folks in order for them to take the course. All right? Uh, you can check our website at battleroadusa.com, and, uh, and we will have the, uh, all of the courses uh, up and listed there as they come about. I want to remind you, too, that if there's some course that you want to see or something that you want to take, we'll be more than happy to, uh, to custom design courses for you or for your, for your groups. If you have a group that you would like to, uh, to bring to the course and you want uh, a private instruction for your group, we've done that and we'll be glad to do it again. <clears throat> we've had folks that have contacted us and they wanted to... Uh, to bring their particular group through for a specific type of instruction, and uh, we've set it up. We've taught folks how to work together as, uh, as shooters on a fire team and, uh, and how to get the most uh, out of their group while doing it in the safest possible manner. We'll be glad to do the same for you, all right? Uh, or if you have, if you guys, if there's a bunch of guys that said, hey, look, we all want to get our wives uh, We'd like to get our wives their CHO, and we'd like to get them all uh, their basic handgun courses, but uh, well, we don't want through the hardship of trying to teach them, and they don't want us to do it, but we'd like to get it done. And let us know. We'd be glad to set up a, uh, a class uh, for a group of ladies. Uh, we'd like to, to welcome a new member, a new addition to the staff. Rachel Malone is... Uh, has been added to the Battle Road staff, and we'd like to thank uh, thank her for accepting and, and coming on board. I think she'll do a great job. Uh, we really uh, we really like Rachel. We like uh, how professional she is. She's a very outstanding uh, individual. She's been through a lot of the courses, and she's uh, turning into a great instructor. <clears throat> All right. Uh, if you have anything else, to, if you have any questions or anything. You can shoot me an, uh, an email. You can get it off the website if you want, mike at battleroadusa.com, and uh, I'll be glad to answer any information. Oh, you've got a caller here that uh, is saying that he has a fix 
uh, for what ails us. All right. And I guess their the, your name is Sam. Sam, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, Scott? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Uh, outstanding. Uh, first and foremost, I want to say uh, happy belated Veterans Day to all the veterans that may be listening. Uh, happy birthday to all the Marines. Uh, so That's right. Birthday. Happy birthday. All right. So uh, uh, I don't necessarily have a fix for you, but uh, I was reading the uh, the theme of today's show, What a Mess We've Made of the Nation. And uh, I noticed that we were you were asking, how are we going to fix this? Have you ever seen the movie The Network? The Network. I don't think that I have. It sounds very familiar, like I must have seen the uh, the title, but I don't think that I saw it. But uh, refresh me. No, it's, it's an old one. It's uh, kind of about a television network uh, celebrity that uh, kind of kind of goes. The whole premise of the thing is that he goes crazy, but he's uh, he's actually making a lot of sense. It's a movie from 1976, and uh, basically, the, what I wanted to get at with that whole movie. Anybody listening, I'd say go go watch it. Check it out for yourself. Um, basically, you got to get mad, man. Uh, there's a there's a quote from the movie. It's uh, first you have to get mad, and he says, "I want you to stick your head outside the window, and I want you to yell at the top of your lungs, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore.'" And the whole it, the, the entire scene in the movie where you know people across America do that, and it makes the news and whatnot, but. You know, I feel like people aren't mad. I feel like people have been uh, placated by all of our luxuries. They're, they're, people don't care. They're disenfranchised. They're too worried about losing their jobs to, to do anything, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah. And, yeah, you're right. Uh, there there are a lot of folks who are, who are just hanging on. I mean, they're hanging on with their fingernails, and they're thinking, I'm going I'm to... I'm really upset, I'm angry, I'm scared, but I'm not going to say anything because if I say something and uh, and the wrong person hears it, I'm going to lose my last my last hope here, or something's going to happen and and then uh, and then an equal number of folks or those that are uh, like I was saying earlier in the show, they're overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that's going on. Uh, there is so much that's going on, so many scandals, one on top of the other, so much uh, corruption that people are getting, they're becoming uh, numb from it. And then there also, there's just as many folks, such wild stories, they're just saying, well, that's, uh, it's it's got to be, it's got to be folks uh, crying wolf. You know, it's got to be people uh, yelling fire when they when they see smoke. And it can't really be those that many things happening. That would be crazy. And yet it is. I think it's actually working in the government's favor because of that. They're saying, hey, pour it on because nobody's going to believe that we would be this uh, corrupt and this inept. And, uh and they just become, we become numb to it. We hear, we hear another corruption, another scandal, and we go, oh, well, you know, those guys are no good. Wish we could do something about it. And, and they're basically just, uh, they're riding their own, their own tidal wave of, of corruption. 
And I'm not talking, man. I want to make sure everybody knows. I'm an equal opportunity uh, complainer. When I'm complaining, I'm not complaining about the Obama administration. They just have, they just happen to be the folks that are in there now. It could be anybody. It could be either side. Both sides have proven that they are more than willing uh, to damage the nation and to to do whatever it takes to keep themselves in power, not to do the things that we sent them for, not to represent us, but to do the things that will keep them in power and uh, and keep them. Although sometimes I've got to wonder why, why do you even need to be in power? You've got uh, you get elected. And then you can have a pension for life. You can have the gold-plated uh, health care for life. I mean, hey, I wouldn't mind uh, getting elected and uh, and getting a nice, good, uh, uh, you know, all of the perks and benefits uh, that they are getting. Who else in the world, who else could get that type of benefits from their job? There's nobody. There is no other job where you could get those types of benefits from uh, from just the uh, two years or four years of work. It's ridiculous. And now we are, we've made it full circle to where we had a revolution in order to get ourselves out from under the thumbs of the royals. And yet here we are again, right back in the same place. We're under the under the thumb of the new royalty, uh, we, if we want something from our government now, and we're expected to go to them on bended knee and beg a boon of them, and uh, they may deign to grant it or they may not, depending on their, their current whim, uh, the, the representatives that we have elected are no longer representing us there's a, a huge failure in our system. And until we get that corrected, we're going to get a, a continual butt-kicking. Uh, and I don't know how to get it corrected. I wish I did. What do you... I mean, I know what you're talking about now because I remember that for years. I remember folks yelling that, and they still yell that thing. You know, they yell the, the thing out the window, I'm mad as hell and I'm not taking it anymore. And yet, here it is, you know, 40 years later, and they're still taking it. Well, I, I do have one idea, and uh, you kind of grasped at it before. Uh, why do these people want to stay in power? Well, uh, have you ever heard of the revolving door? You know, a lot of these guys that are getting into these, uh, you know, commissions and committees, people get elected to the Senate and the House, they come from, uh, you know, uh, the tobacco lobby, for example, or, or, you know, different lobbies. They go, they're starting in one industry. They get into government. They help out their friends. They retire from uh, the government. They go right back into where they came from originally. So I think that's uh, one major issue. And uh, I think one of the things that might help, uh, actually the thing, first of all, let's talk about what our government is. It's not really a democracy anymore. It's a plutocracy, okay, and that's a society that is ruled and dominated by a small majority of the top wealthiest citizens. And you know, a lot of us we all love the free market. We're all capitalists. I understand that it's the free market is the best way for many economic systems and industries to fluster, or not fluster, but flourish. But I think 
campaign finance reform is something that would greatly reduce the amount of corruption in our government. Now, consider if you think that you are the most qualified person to be the president or to be a senator in your state, could you afford your campaign? Could, could you afford to just drop your entire life and just go ahead and campaign for a year and then get elected and, and then earn whatever a, a senator or a representative is making? Most of us probably well, can't. No, no, absolutely not. There's nothing, and, and you also have to wonder why somebody would spend... Uh, uh, almost a hundred million dollars to become uh, uh, mayor of New York. I mean, uh, why people would spend the millions and millions of dollars to become a senator or a congressman, and uh, and it's because of what you just said. Because it's you're the the hundred thousand or hundred fifty thousand dollars, whatever it is now. Maybe it's two hundred thousand. I can't remember. Uh, paycheck that you're going to get certainly is is. It's not going to be worth your your millions of dollars investment, but the contact you're going to make and the power you're going to be able to wield while you're in office is going to be worth that. And uh, I think that uh, campaign finance reform, I mean, this is something we've been talking about for 30 years, uh, term limits, uh, making sure that we have, uh, that we get a grip on term limits but the only way we're going to get a grip on term limits is for the guy, for those guys to cut their own throats by uh, writing it into law. And it's appearing that it's, it's very, very hard to, to, to pluck each and every one of those guys off the teeth uh, in order for them to do it. They, they're very resistant to it. Can I... Uh... Can I give you a quote? Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government, of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and institute new government. Oh, well, I'm 100% behind it. Uh, I'm, I'm, ready, I'm ready right now. Uh, the same guy also said that, you know, uh, to quote, I got it up there on my screen. I also have it committed to heart, but just in case I forget, prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. I don't think that our grievances are, are light or transient. Um, but in the following uh, in the following sentence, he also says, mankind is more disposed to suffer while the evils are sufferable, than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they're accustomed. You know, we all know these words, and I think that comes back to what I was saying before. People just, they're not mad enough. They're not mad enough. Um, it, it's well, harder America, to change the system. And not, not just America. I mean, it's, it's a human condition. Exactly. But most humans don't. They won't do anything until they're forced to. And I mean, you see this—you see this all the time. I mean, you see it in everything from uh, from folks doing their Christmas shopping on December 24th to the folks that are finishing uh, filling out their income tax returns uh, in while they're uh, in line at the post office, uh, all the way until uh, things like the. Uh, the Freddie Mac and and on and on. You know, we're not going to do anything about it, no matter how 
uh, how terrible it looks looming up above us until it comes crashing down. And we'll do something then. But we're, we're absolutely, as human beings, we're absolutely horrible most of the time and making any big changes until something happens. Uh, and I think that we're, I think that we're hovering, you know, at that point now, but I still don't see, I don't see enough folks, enough folks doing anything that's going to make a difference until it crashes down. I mean, we've got the, uh, the American financial situation now that is just absolutely insane. Like I was saying earlier, if if you had a good way to explain to the American citizens uh, in a way that they could understand it, what we're doing financially to the country, I think that that would be enough at that point to get folks out in the street and ready to burn burn everything to the ground because we're we're about to suffer. Uh, terribly, and and it's not going to be just America that suffers either. We're going to drag everybody down with us, and uh, I think if we had a good way to explain to America what is happening to us financially, I think that that would, I think that that might be enough to enough of a catalyst that we could get people moving. But we can't. You can't. You can't make people understand. You can't make them believe. And, you know, you said the free market system is, when you were talking about it earlier, that uh, that folks say it's the best system. And really, it is the best system. The problem is, is that with any system, you're going to find folks that are going to find a way to, to, to make it work in ways that it's not supposed to. And that's going to be with any system that you can develop. There's going to be folks that are going to make it. They're going to uh, twist it and pull it until it uh, until it is bastardized. And uh, you certainly see that with a uh, with a lot of the uh, uh, the funds and stocks and stuff like that. I mean, uh, currency and the uh, the stock market is manipulated and pushed and pulled and twisted. And the number of folks that are that uh, are investing in it and that get uh, ruined are, it is, it's unbelievable. And, and that's one of the ways I think that, that, that the free market system is, uh, is twisted and it can get corrupted very easily. I still think it's the best, the best system that's out there, you know, the system of of supply and demand is, I mean, that's just the way that the world works, and it's a really good system. But, like I said, with any system, when you get folks, you're going to find ways to twist it, to manipulate it, you know, to their advantage. And I don't know that there's any way around that. Uh, hold on just a second. I'm not going to take, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to take you off. I'm just going to bring somebody else on with us real quick. This is Ron from L.A. You wanted to give a shout-out. Ron, who's, welcome to the show. Who did you want to give a shout-out to? Uh, well, just uh, these guys. I don't know if, where they're at now, but uh, 2010, this is uh, Cheshire. He moved up north. Uh, Pete moved uh, east. Uh, right now, Rocket Man, he's, uh, and uh, Psych Doc. 
these guys are pretty good. Uh, I've done four apple seeds where I'm just a babysitter taking kids and youth and whatnot. Um, so just just want to say really just a good job, and I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. Uh, there is a spark of uh, awakening here in Los Angeles, the southern part, I guess you could say inner city. Uh, I've got parents telling me, here, take my kids to an apple seed shoot. I want them to see the difference between reality and fantasy, reality and Hollywood. Um, you know, they play Call of Duty all day, and they have no clue what they're doing. So, you know, just, I've, you know, again, I've got parents telling me to take their kids with me. So, just thank well, you. Well, that sounds That's great, because uh, it's, it's good to get kids out, get kids out of the house, and uh, to get them outside and doing something physical, especially to uh, to give them an introduction to to shooting, which is an American heritage. You know, you you, you can't deny it. This nation was was built to, uh, and its heritage has been around firearms, and there's been uh, good use of those and bad use of those. But uh, yes, sir. The Appleby Project is, is certainly invested in teaching the American youth the good use of them, along with a rock solid. Uh, foundation in safety, in safe firearms usage, so that after the two-day apathy, the kids have a really good understanding of what uh, what it means to handle a firearm safely. And not only that, yep. I mean, if you go, if they go to an apathy, they're going to get uh, like a, a, at a minimum about an hour of American history, and uh, that might be the only uh, American history that some of those kids get that year. Yes. Oh, by the way, a lot of them are homeschooled, but I am reaching out to friends and relatives that their kids are not homeschooled, but yes, trying to bring as many as I can. Are you part of a homeschooling group in uh, Los Angeles? Um, informally, yes. 90% of my church are homeschooled. Uh, I don't know if I could say the, the program, but we use one out of Florida. Like a formal group group, no, it's just something that our church encourages. And, well, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, so well, that's, when people, uh, the other when people hear about LA and school kids and stuff, I'm sure that uh I'm sure it's no different you know, than uh, when the folks in LA hear about Texas, they think about oil wells and when folks think about <laughs> uh, LA and school kids, you know, they think about gangs and beatings and everything else. I, I hate to say it but that is true. Uh I grew up in Watts. So that that kinda gives you an idea. I grew up in Watts and um I've been around and I'm you know, went to the public school system, and according to my cousin who graduated a few years ago, it's actually getting worse. So uh, a lot of the folks that we know are taking our kids out and out of the school system. Just We're just walking away from the system, basically. I hate to say it, but I, when I tell these parents, you are defying your government because you're telling them you don't need them. You're telling them, I will raise my kids, thank you very much, and I will teach them right from wrong. Um, I did want to mention... And I did want to mention, oh, and also in my family, we're the first ones to do it, but they're beginning to raise their, 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 their eyes and looking and saying, wow, wait a minute, I see a difference in your kids versus the other kids. They see that my kids are not socially challenged, as people say, they're chatterboxes. I have to remind them, uh, sweetheart, you don't talk to strangers because there's people out to get you. They're going to, not everyone is nice. So they're actually enjoying right. their innocence and their childhood because of what we're doing, you know. So we're teaching them that. Uh, I did want to make a comment uh, before I get off and, and give you know, 
the floor back to the other person on there, but uh, we have relatives that some of them are here illegally, and some of them get assistance from the government. And I remember one mentioning um, about the Obamacare. She says, Medi-Cal in California doesn't have funds. They're low on money. They're limited resources. And yet now, because of this, they are increasing the benefits. Where are they going to get the money? And I was like, oh, that's a good question. <laughs> you know? And so people are asking questions, even here, even those who receive the benefits from the, or whatever, you know, from the government. And there's, there's signs of life here. And uh, it gives me hope. And I hate to say it, but I go in there and I ask questions. If I go to the store, did you know the government was shut down a few weeks ago? Oh, yeah, did your life change? No. So do we need the government? No, you know, as a matter of fact, we don't. So, sorry, I'm guilty of that. Well, that's it's interesting. You know, in uh, some respects for these kind of a government assistance programs, I mean, the way I feel is, uh, you know, right out in New York City, the uh, Statue of Liberty says, you know, give me your, your tired, your poor, your your, your uh, huddled masses yearning to be free. This is a nation of immigrants, and, you know, all of the immigrants that I've ever met, and I know this is purely anecdotal, but all of the immigrants that I've met are, are tireless workers. They're hard workers, and I think that yes. hard working is an American virtue. And yes, I, I do think we need to support them, that, you know, get help people uh, get off their feet. But like we were saying before, I think uh, with, with any kind of a system, there, there are also people out there who do take advantage. I think this is just a personal belief to finish the uh, the writing where at the end it says, and God shall give the world a great nation. But that's just my personal belief, so I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, well uh, you know, I was I posted a picture the other day up onto the Internet. Usually I, usually I don't post much stuff other than... Uh, and classroom stuff and stuff like that, but uh, it just hit me that you know, as much as the uh, as much as the media says that uh, that America is not a Christian nation, and listen, I, and I, I'm not saying that people have to be Christians. I'm not saying that they gotta believe in God or not believe. That's up to everybody's own personal choices that they make, their poor personal preferences. But for the for the media to say that we that we never had a history of that or that we uh or that we're not a Christian nation, I I was just looking at the football game I was at. You know, every mm-hmm. Friday night across the across America there are there are thousands of football games that are starting out, and there are yes, millions of people standing uh, for the for the prayer and for the uh, uh, national anthem. So, oh, I, I think the media is just. Uh, I think that would give the media a little bit of a clue as as to what uh, our nation, as a belief of our nation. Everybody's gonna have to figure out their own beliefs. Gonna figure out. You have to figure it out but for yourself. But uh, I don't think you should try and tell anybody else believe. And uh, it seems like that's that has been the job of the media uh, a great deal lately, is telling people what they what they can or can't believe. 
along with the government. And uh, I don't think it's the government's business. It's not. That's the First Amendment. Well, listen, I'm really glad that uh, you guys are... Uh, it's very it's very uplifting to hear that uh, that right there in the middle of uh, Los Angeles that this is happening. Now, I know that uh, a lot of folks think that, uh, that California, they try and do the uh, California spelling with a K, and a lot of folks don't have a lot of good things to say. But I tell you, when... Uh, when Appleseed got ready to move into California, at first we got a bunch of resistance uh, from folks that were there that were telling us not to come into California, that they wow. were going to start arresting the uh, the Appleseed instructors and stuff like that. They were showing up, and uh, and we were we were a bit worried at first, but we went ahead and and made the jump. And I got to tell you, California is leading the nation. It has. Since the first uh, event was held there, Appleseed in California has been leading the the Appleseed Nation with the number of shoots, uh, the number of people attending. Uh, it's been, uh, it has been the leader for Appleseed events and attendance uh, since the minute it got rolling. So that, I just wanted wow, to let, awesome. uh, let that let the folks that were naysaying California know that, that uh, California has been the leader since uh, the minute we uh, we crossed the border and started setting up shoots there. So I'm hoping, you know, there's always uh, there's that saying that uh, that you always hear is uh, as California goes, so goes the nation. And uh, that's uh, most of the time it's, it's liberals that we're trying to use that uh, I'm hoping that that's certainly true as far as the fact that people think that California is a, uh, is a problem when I think one of the only problems there is that most of California is just willing to or has been unwilling to make themselves heard. You know, they've allowed uh, a, a minority of their population to take over and... Uh, I think the majority of California is starting to wake up and say, "Look, this is uh, this is not what we had planned for ourselves and our families and our children, and we don't we don't want it to go this way anymore." So I think that you guys are doing a great job out there. Thank you, sir. We we're, we're trying. Guys. We're we'll continue to try to do as much as we can. Um, like I said, I'm excited. I. I I share as much uh, liberty thoughts and ideas as you know with everyone, and I will say this on what you said: it does feel like the nation is held hostage by three cities. Maybe there's more in New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, where they think that they are everything, but in reality, we outnumber them. So thank you, sir. And just like I'm gonna let you guys go, and just listen in. But right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, thank you, Ron. God bless you and yours. Keep on, uh, keep on the straight and narrow. And uh, anytime you got anything to say, or you want to give us a heads up, feel free to call in. All right. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. God bless. All right. Have a good you night, too. Bye bye. Yeah, I think that people, uh, people when they hear about California, immediately think, uh, uh, you know, you hear people talking all the time. They wish that. Uh, they wish that uh, California would physically secede, 
uh, and break off and float away. And the, the, Look at the, the real truth is, though, is that well, yeah, the real truth is that uh, it's that the folks in California aren't any happier with what's going on there than uh, than the rest of the nation. And uh, I think that they've proved that several times. I think uh, uh, when they voted in propositions and then had their uh, had their courts strike them down, I mean, uh, it's not like they. Uh, it's not like they. It, it just seems to me that they are they're caught in just a bigger, faster rut. It's the same version that the rest of America is caught in. And I agree with you as far as the immigrants, uh, our nation being a nation made of immigrants, and uh, and the immigrants who have taken the uh, the trouble to come to America, that the majority of them are good, hardworking folks. But at the same time, you have you have only a certain amount that any city, any state, any country can take in without uh, without it doing damage. And I certainly find it uh, prehensible when you have the folks uh, having huge uh, rallies and demonstrations, you know, folks that are that are here illegally, uh, tearing down the American flags and demanding that we uh, that we change laws or with it, that we do things uh, to benefit them and. Uh, I uh, I just got to say that, uh, and especially when you have uh, like the country of Mexico getting on board and saying, "How dare you treat the illegal aliens this way?" and stuff like that. I I, I just got to say, what uh, why don't why don't you guys fix Mexico first before you tell us how we need to fix America? So. That is another problem that we're that we're definitely facing, and that is what to do about illegal immigration. Because a nation that that cannot secure its borders is not a nation, uh, and we need to be able to secure our borders. Now, I'm not just talking okay. about just to keep out, come in to make a living. I'm talking about uh, the physical security of our nation. Now, if I've got to get onto an aircraft with my family and each one of us has to be groped and uh, uh, and have our nether regions uh, plummeted and, our, and be x-rayed and everything else so that we can take an interstate flight, I would certainly hope that we were caring about uh, folks crossing the borders illegally uh, who might be bringing in uh, individuals uh, or weapons that they could use to uh, uh, to uh, commit acts of terror 
in the country. Uh, I would think that we should be at least have some type, some minimal uh, type of uh, attention that we'd want to pay to our own borders. And uh, and it seems like we've been running as fast as we can in the opposite direction. Uh, we just had uh, Obama giving the stand down to all of the uh, immigration folks all along the Southwest and ordering them not to stop individuals, not to stop groups. And and this isn't me saying this. This isn't some, uh, you know, some uh, some gossip mag saying this. This is these are the officials who are running uh, uh, Customs and Immigration and the Border Patrol. So if we are being told to lay down our defenses at our borders, then I really don't understand uh, having to put up with the, the uh, TSA thuggery that we have to put up with when we're getting, when we're getting on an aircraft. You know, there's there's two facets that I want to speak about there. You know, we're talking about uh, downplaying our border security, um, and we're talking about the southern border. What about the northern border? If I recall correctly, that is the largest unguarded border, uh, I believe, in the world. Um, do we really have a problem with uh, Ill- illegal Canadian immigrants? And I think that speaks to um, the economic situation in Mexico and what you said before. I think they should be looking at fixing their own country before they can say, hey, you need to let more immigrants in uh, unconditionally, or b- even before we, um, we downplay our security. And secondly, how many of you have seen YouTube videos of American citizens just driving near the Mexican border uh, who are stopped by Border Patrol, who are ordered to p- produce papers, you know, stop papers, please. Right. Um, so th- there's got to be some happy medium, you know. Th- there's got to be some happy medium between having a, a border patrol agent stopping you for to identify yourself as an American citizen, which I believe you do have a constitutional right to travel freely in your own country, and on the other hand, preventing this sort of. Uh, you know, well, we had uh, I had a buddy of mine that was just uh, telling me that he he had been stopped uh, near the border, and. Uh, and he had been searched uh, for drugs and weapons and everything else, but uh, there was uh, there were several groups of uh, uh, illegal aliens uh, in plain sight, you know, coming uh, across, and and nobody was uh, nobody was stopping them. And you mentioned the Canadian border, and you're right. That's it, We've got a, a very long, unguarded border there. Uh, and the truth is, is that there is a lot of uh, illegal immigration coming through Canada. There's a huge amount of it. But it's not uh, Mexicans. Uh, it's actually uh, uh, a lot of Middle Eastern, out of all of the other nationalities that are coming through, and uh, and they're coming into the country illegally. It's just not uh, it's just not Mexicans coming through Canada. But we got but there is a huge amount of uh, illegal immigration coming through Canada. And one of the problems that there is that uh, 
that Canada has become, uh, especially some of the larger cities, has become some of the major hubs for uh, groups like uh, Al-Qaeda and stuff like that where they, uh, they, can, they can work fairly freely uh, in those cities. And the Canadian government has admitted that it can't, it can't control them, and uh, a great deal of them are, uh, they're unwilling to confront the uh, folks like the, the organized groups like, uh, like the Middle Eastern terrorists, and uh, they are fairly free to operate at will there and, and then to cross the border anywhere they want. Uh, there's, uh, there's certainly no walls there. There are plenty of places where the road just, uh, uh, you know, is, is you're driving along in Canada, and then the next minute you are in America, and there's no, no checkpoints, no border guards, nothing. How can you rectify that? And um, you know, I think uh, only six percent of illegal immigrants, which is uh, a dubious statistic, because how can you gauge something like that? You know, illegal immigrants? Are you going to do a survey that says? Are you an illegal yeah. immigrant? Of course not. You know, but um, allegedly only six percent of illegal immigrants are from Europe and Canada, whereas you know fifty-six percent of them come are coming from Mexico. But um, right. how can you rectify that? Um, how can you solve the issue? Uh, let's let's just speak about the Canadian border. Um, how can are we going to put a border checkpoint on every single road leading into America? Um, you know, I, it, as much of a good idea as I think it would be to. Uh, reduce illegal immigrants and, um, you know, get our, I, I hate to use the word, but uh, quota uh, that we can allow to come to our country. But uh, how can you balance that with uh, individual freedoms and liberties? You know, well, are we I think stop one of the main problems time? that you have is, is in the types of folks that are immigrating now. Uh, traditionally, immigration to America has... Uh, been the route when they've wanted to improve uh, their life or they've wanted to change and they've come to America and and the first thing they do is they work as hard as they can to become Americans and they are proud of their status they are proud of their of their new nationality they don't uh, uh, you know, for many, many years, I've got plenty of friends whose uh, folks have immigrated, and, and a lot of them said, look, you know, we were told uh, uh, in our homes that we were told to make sure that we spoke English in our homes, that we learned English, that we flew the flag on, uh, you know, on, uh, on holidays, that we participated in, uh, you know, in, uh, in the nation's celebrations and the customs and everything else. And a great deal of the folks that are immigrating now, they don't want anything to do with that. They want, they want to reverse it. I mean, there's a uh, there's a huge push by a, a lot of folks uh, uh, for what is it called the uh, Reconquista uh, movement to uh, to reconquer the uh, the lands uh, that apparently at once. At one time, that were Mexico's, but 
the only thing I have to say about that is that the, is that everybody used to be somebody else. That's right. Uh, you know, if the if the Mexicans are interested in that, then then they should move and they should allow the indigenous Indians to uh, or Spain or France, uh, you know, back. You can't uh, you can't stop at just one level. You'll have to go back uh, to every level. You know, if you're going to be fair, go back to every level beforehand. And most of the folks that uh, are at least a good deal of the folks that, uh, that I've had contact with, and I can only give anecdotal information or stories. Uh, I can't speak uh, uh, for the total amount of folks that uh, are immigrating right now that uh, that that are problematic, but I certainly see it. Uh, my wife's a school teacher. We see it in the schools now all the time uh, in all a lot of the local schools. You have the uh, the young Hispanic males that uh, are basically just about running the the schools because a lot of the schools are, you know, fairly small schools, the uh, at least rurally. And uh, and if something happens, then the kids can call on groups like LULAC to defend them. And whether they were whether they were in the right or the wrong, uh, the school is is not set up financially to bear the burdens to fight uh, a lengthy court battle against a well-funded organization like LULAC. And a lot of times they end up backing down. And uh, it's causing a lot of damage. But uh, uh, let's move on to to some other problems that is facing right now, one of the greatest of which is that we are involved in in apparently some endless wars now. Uh, we're involved in Iraq in Afghanistan, we actually have troops on the ground in uh, over 70 countries, and we actually have troops engaged in combat operations in over two dozen countries. I was just reading, uh, said that that the cost now to America in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan to uh, support the troops that are there now. It costs uh, over $2.5 million uh, for each soldier that we have there to support them. That uh, that the cost now, what they have it, they have it uh, figured out now that the cost to kill one member of the Taliban is close to $50 million dollars. That's for every Taliban member that we're supposedly ridding the world of, that it's costing us $50 million. And uh, I think there's a lot of questions that we need to ask ourselves about this, and that is, first of all, what are we doing there? I don't know that I've, had a, that I've gotten a good answer from anybody, starting with uh, Mr. Bush. We're going to rid the world of terror. 
Now that itself is pretty a pretty bizarre statement. Uh, I mean, I can understand in, in one way what it means, but how are you going to rid the world of of terror? Uh, it's impossible. Uh, we're going to kill them over there before they come over here, and we have to kill them here. <clears throat> the uh, and we've certainly done a good job of that, but I don't. Uh, I don't understand where this is supposed to lead and where it's supposed to end. And uh, I don't think that anybody in government does either. And and even if they could, how long are we going to be able to support this amount of expenditures for a war that apparently has no end? Scott, are you a Star Trek watcher? Star Trek? No. No, I... Uh, I, I Watched it when I was younger, but uh, no, I don't watch it too much anymore. So, uh, for anybody that's listening, there's a, a race in Star Trek of aliens called the Ferengi, and uh, basically they're they're robber barons. You know, they're, they're uh, you know think of a 1920s, early uh, 20th century, um, you know, business person. That, that's what they're supposed to uh, characterize, and they have uh, these rules of it's called the rules of acquisition. Uh, number 34 is war is good for business. I think that's pretty much what it comes down to. And even uh, even Eisenhower, you know, he wrote about the dangers of the military-industrial complex. And basically, what it comes down, there's actually two points to why we have all all of these uh, foreign engagements of our military. First of all, war is good for business. Um, <laughs> You know, fifty thousand dollars to take out one uh, Taliban insurgent, uh, one one Taliban combatant. Okay, so how many jobs did that create? How uh, how much did a, a company profit off of the, the single Tomahawk missile that was fired from the drone that was fueled by the per, the contractor who the government contracted to fuel the drone, and so on and so forth. So right there, you know, it's just a giant money-making scheme, $50,000 to kill one one terrorist. And the other facet actually really goes way back um, to a gentleman named Alfred Thayer Mahan. Um, he, he was a Navy flag officer, and basically he wrote the book on naval uh, warfare, uh, you know, late 19th, early 20th century, Basically, his idea was um, that in order for America to exert, and um, in order for us to be powerful and stand on foot with nations like Spain, uh, the UK, and whoever else was powerful at the time, we had to have a powerful navy. And in order to have a powerful navy, we had to control choke points. So, basically, long story short, we had to uh, go to war with Spain. We had to start controlling areas in the Pacific and in the Caribbean that were conducive to a powerful navy. So, you know, we had to control these these uh, colonies, is what they were at the time, to allow our navy to secure trade routes. And even today, if you look at where our, um, our aircraft carriers are stationed, they're stationed at choke points, you know. And where those aircraft carriers are stationed, there's invariably... United States military base somewhere nearby. So that's why we have all these overseas bases. It's essentially so we initially, not essentially, initially so that we could have a strong and powerful 
uh, force to protect our trade. And that's where it comes from. And where it started to devolve was basically what Eisenhower said after World War II, the military-industrial complex was a great way for people to make money. And it's just snowballed and snowballed and snowballed since then. So what do we do? Do we revert back to where we were in the early 20th century, where we only control a few points? Do we go roll back before that, where the trade routes and the shipping lanes and the choke points are all controlled by foreign nations? I don't know. The one thing I will say is that you, maybe you didn't hear me right uh, a while ago, but uh, you said uh, the cost to kill each uh, Taliban member was 50000 but it's not. It's, 50 uh, million, right? 50 million, that's right. <laughs> and and, and uh, the, way they, the way they've gotten this calculation, of course, is by, by taking the, uh, uh, the amount of money that we're spending and uh, then dividing that uh, by the number of Taliban forces killed. And uh, the actual estimated cost uh, is uh, right at, uh, it's, it's as high as $100 million per Taliban member. That's staggering. Uh, and that's with a, a conservative estimate being $50 million apiece. So... So maybe we should be talking about the fact that uh, that uh, the Taliban has become too expensive an enemy to defeat uh, because if they have a a field strength of 35,000 troops right now, then uh, in order for us to in order for us to reduce uh, that number, we're talking about. uh, 1.75 1.75 trillion dollars. Uh, there's just there's no way we can afford to continue uh, to to throw money at this war. Isn't that what Osama bin Laden wanted? Uh, I'm pretty sure he wrote some uh, crazy rambling statement that he wanted to bankrupt the United States by dragging us into a long and drawn out war. I mean. <laughs> Is he winning? Oh yeah, absolutely. He's getting—he did exactly everything that uh, everything he said he wanted to do. Because the longer we're there, uh, it's no different than uh, we were talking last uh, on Monday. We were talking about why uh, the American, uh, one of the colonists, eventually prevailed against uh, the British regulars. And one of the reasons was because the longer the occupation went on. Uh, the more damage was done to folks who were either neutral or actually loyalist by the occupational forces, causing them to slide over to the rebel side. So the longer that they stayed as occupiers, the the greater number of rebel forces were created. And that's where, you know, right now we're kind of in that, that same ballgame of, of the longer we stay there, uh, the longer we are, the longer we're we're not helping. So, hold on, we got another caller here from uh, from California. He wanted to talk about California stuff. Uh, Mr. B, Mr. B, welcome to the show. 
Oh, hello, Scout. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Well, I just uh, flew back into this wonderful country. I was over visiting the old country for uh, my mother's 80th birthday. And, um, you know, um, I'm a a naturalized American citizen. In fact, it was Appleseed which inspired me to become an American citizen. I'm very proud to have taken the oath of allegiance. Not, Not every citizen gets the chance to do that. I think you have to be military service or in some sort of the armed forces or a police officer and whatnot. But I, I, I stood um, at the immigration ceremony, at the citizenship ceremony, and I were wearing my rifleman's coat. And i um, very, very proud to put my hand on my heart and, and swear that oath of allegiance. I, I, I love this country. This is an amazing country. We, we uh, Growing up in Ireland, we look to America as, as you know, the bastion of uh, trailblazing individual liberty, uh, uh, get it done, country, you know, can do, um, you know, um, very, 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 very innovative. All the great things came from here. We look to, to, you know, um, a lot of the heroes of America, you know, in awe. And I couldn't wait to come here. And I flourished here uh, because the country that I came from um, is just riddled with socialism. And unfortunately, what I see now is um, uh, that creeping uh, that 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 uh, mission creep uh, coming into this yeah. country, and um, you know I'm 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 appalled actually uh, because the America that I grew up perceiving and the America that I I, I came to originally, um, she she's not in a good shape right now, um, which is part of the reason why you know I was glad I I think I heard you scout on on a radio show promoting Appleseed. Uh, took me a little bit of time to get to Appleseed, get on the line. But I knew as soon as I got to the line about two years ago that, like, this is a home for me. Uh, This is a place where I can really make a difference. Um, You know, getting behind certain political candidates, certain political parties, you know, you feel like a very, very small fish in in a huge, giant ocean. But, you know, Appleseed, I think, is definitely a place where we can affect change. And I have affected change because... I think, um, you know, not, not trying to blow my own horn or toot my own thing, but when they hear of a, a foreigner or somebody who hasn't, you know, wasn't growing up here coming and talking about how great this country is, I think it's a great, um, I think it's a great way to re-inspire people so that they can kind of get up off the sofa and get up off the couch and, 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 and start affecting some change. Um, Absolutely. You guys are talking about a, yeah, you guys are talking about a lot of great stuff tonight. I think these are conversations that need to be had. People don't really want to talk about them. Um, I think we need to have more dialogue about them because um, um, I think a lot of people are actually feeling these things, but they're not uh, expressing them. So that's something that we need to we need to change first of all. Um, you know, we well, need to sort of um, go ahead. Absolutely, because that's one of the things that uh, you know when we're when we're at an apple seed. And I'll talk to the folks there about it. I'll say, you know, it is it is easy for folks to to not do anything. You know, it's easy for you to uh, if you come to an apple seed, you listen to the folks speak there. The uh, by the end of the apple seed, hopefully, you understand now that. Uh, that you've got a decision to make about about what you're going to do next. And usually, you know, folks come to an apple seed and they have uh, they've set themselves a goal 
of improving their rifle marksmanship, and then they meet and exceed that goal, and then then normally the the follow-up question is, what's next? What can I do next? I've set a goal. I've achieved it. You know, I'm very happy about that. I'm excited about that. So now what's next? What can I, what can I do? I'm on a ball. I'm on a, uh, I've got a roll going. And so what can I do next? And, and the problem is, is that once you've heard that our nation is, is having difficulties, that it's in trouble, that you've got two things you can do. One, uh, which is the easy thing, is you can say, you can deny it. You can say, you know, think there's really, I don't think there's really any, any big problem. I think everything's okay. <clears throat> I'm going to go home and uh, I'm going to continue on just like I was, uh, just like I was, because I think everything's going to be okay. Or two, you can say, you know what, uh, I didn't need, I didn't need them to tell me this. I knew that there was some problem. I knew that things were going on wrong. I know we were heading in the wrong direction. And and now. Uh, if I accept this fact that we are, now here's the hard part. Now I've got to do something. And that's a hard thing. It's a hard decision to make because it requires you to do something. And and what are you going to do? Because the solution to the problem is a, a very nebulous one. It's not an easy one. For the men and women who were uh, on Lexington Green on April 19, 1775, it wasn't a hard decision. You, you, the the enemy was there. The British regulars were there, and and you were going to be shot, or you were going to shoot, uh, you were going to accept uh, being a slave, or you weren't. And it was a very, it was a lot easier decision because now you're not you're not making a decision on whether to shoot or not. You're making a decision on whether to spend uh, 30 minutes to an hour uh, on the phone or writing an article or talking to your senator or your congressman or uh, to do things which are, that may be new to you or hard to you and that can be easily put off. Uh, you know, I compare the, the danger that we face now to uh, the dangers of rust. You know, if you have uh, if you have a, a bridge, like uh, if you have the Golden Gate Bridge, if it's rusting, and uh, uh, that rust is going to cause the bridge to fall and collapse and kill everybody on it, as sure as if it were a, a nuclear bomb. There is no rush to to jump up and and go scrape the rust off the bridge and repaint it. But it's there, and it's eating away at the uh, at the at the uh, the foundation of the bridge, and it's certain it's absolutely going to destroy it. But there, nobody can get excited about rust, and it's the same thing with the freedoms and liberties in America being eroded. Uh, the people, it's happening a little bit at a time, and the people are, they're becoming uh, used to it, and it's happening just a little bit at a time, and and, and people aren't getting excited about it. Uh, I imagine 
going to be the same thing that uh, we were talking about earlier, and that is something is going to have to happen, and and it's probably going to be something uh, something painful and catastrophic, and it's such a shame that it has to get to that point because we could fix it. We could fix it right now, but uh, but apparently uh, we're not willing to. So, well, I'm glad that you uh, I'm glad that you you went through the uh, the process, and my congratulations and uh, welcome to America. And uh, I'm really glad that you've chosen to. Uh, to take Appleseed on uh, as a project because we can certainly use uh, everyone who's willing to help. And, you know, I get folks at Appleseeds all the time from other countries. And uh, and when there are folks from, uh, from countries that uh, are either uh, – that are having difficulties or that have been under uh, – under a fascist rule or uh, under communism, under some dictatorship, uh, those folks listen during the uh, during the discussions because Americans usually feel that that they've had these freedoms, they've had these liberties uh, for hundreds of years, so they're going to continue to have them. That nothing's going to change that they'll always have them. And the folks from the other countries, folks like, uh, uh, you know, uh, Poland and Russia and uh, Argentina, all these different countries that uh, have said nothing is going to guarantee that you're going to have the freedoms and liberties except you, except yourself. So, listen, my thanks to you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um you know, it's a, it's an exciting time. I think you know it's a challenging time, but I think it's a an exciting time for us to um, reinstate uh, the policies and the credo that the uh, the founding fathers put in that very simple document. Um, you know, I'm just trying to trying to uh, wake people back up out of this slumber. Um, you, you know, there is that adage that you know, with, with prosperity um, comes decadence. And um, also comes like this sort of lackadaisical attitude of, of uh, you know, well, we don't need to worry about that anymore because we're prosperous. Well, that's when, 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 when things start to go wrong, you know. Um, and it happened in every, every single uh, um, uh, um, culture that had any sort of level of prosperity. Uh, you know, uh, in the beginning, there's always the people who have to work very, very hard to, uh, you know, um, uh, carve out something out of out of the rock, out of the ground, cut down the forests, you know, uh, to make something, and then to to you know instate in, in those uh, foundations of liberty. And then when the um, when the when the prosperity comes in, sometimes the, the next few generations then just take everything for granted. And you know, I, I see a lot of spoiled people, uh, entitlement, um, you know, and 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 uh, apathy. And that's a very, very, very scary place to be. So, you know, we don't want um, 
we don't want anything bad to happen. But, you know, unfortunately, I, I think we have to really come to the realization that things are actually going bad, and they are going to get bad. Um, and, and, and a lot of people, I don't believe, have any idea of what's coming down the pike. Um, I, I think for, it's for us, for a community, to, to sort of not warn people, but at least make them aware of, of, of these issues. Um, you know, I also think that we should start taking back the small towns. You know, um, I was in Fort Scott, Kansas for a wedding, and, and it kind of saddened me because, you know, the old main streets of America were very quaint, uh, very wholesome, uh, you know, and, and now I go back to places like Fort Scott and, and I see boarded up places, and I'm sure, you know, insert your name here, small town America, but, you know, um, if we can get back to like a localized economy, um, getting, getting the resources, and then trading with other localized economies. I mean, we have to accept the machine for what it is. In other words, we can't just sort of say the machine's broken, that's it, I'm not going to engage in the machine. I think we have to sort of realize the machine for what it is. And I think we have to sort of know that the machine is there. It's not going to be changed overnight. It's not even going to, at this stage, it's not even going to be changed in a couple of years. Um, it's been so, um, there's so many wrenches been thrown on, additions onto it, uh, uh, different pieces that have made it so complex um, that there is no one solution. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that we could potentially start getting like-minded people getting back into the small town localized economy, I think that's a way, a way out of this because, you know, I, I actually live in Los Angeles and there's no reach in some of these people. You know, uh, you, you try, you try, you try, but, but it's, it's, it's like you guys were saying, you know, there's a, there's a sense of arrogance here. There's a sense of entitlement. There's a sense of better than everybody else, you know. Uh, I, I'm probably one of the only you know, constitutional, Republican, um, libertarian-minded people in my area. You know, I'll always challenge people, you know. Um, I, I don't engage in the false left-right paradigm because I think it's a bit of a joke. You know, you've, you've got Team A and Team B, and, and it's basically Coke and Pepsi. It, it's, it's dirty brown water, you know. And again, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't speak of this on, on a line, of course. We, we maintain a nonpartisan thing, but... You know, it, it's, it's all just, you know, manure wrapped up in, in, in wrapping paper under a, under a different wrapper is still going to be manure, you know. Uh, you, you, and you can't pick the shiny end of it up, you know, because there isn't one. So, you know, and I think there is a huge movement in this country. I, I think we actually do number a lot. I, and I think we have to kind of applaud ourselves, um, realizing that there is actually a huge movement now in the country. There is that pendulum is starting to, to move where people uh, inherently know that there is something wrong. Um, you know, at places like the alternative media, the Internet is still our best chance at, at reaching out to people. Um, you know, it, it hasn't yet for the moment been taken over by the corporate boards or the, uh, um, you, know, you know, the mainstream, as it were, um, the state-run dinosaur media, uh, and, 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 and I think, you know, we can still have effective change using that part of the machine, if you get what I'm saying, you know. Um, right. I, I, well, I think uh, if we can, like you said, the one, I think one of the best answers is, is shifting uh, the focus down from national 
to your local governments, from first to national to state, and then state uh, to county. And I think that it works a lot better that way. And like you said, you know, getting the folks to uh, to trade locally and to take an interest to invest themselves uh, in their communities, uh, that's the only way it's going to work. I think we've proven after 40 years of... Uh, of the, the national government throwing money at its uh, at its war on uh, on everything. You know, the, the national government wants to make war on everything. They want to make war on poverty. And after spending trillions, the 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 poverty hasn't been defeated. They want to make the, the war on drugs. And after spending spending hundreds of billions on drugs, that's not defeated. The war on bad education. And what have we done? Uh, after throwing hundreds of billions of dollars at education, uh, all we're still, uh, American students uh, seem to have the, the highest uh, self-esteem and the lowest grades. Uh, we're going to have to get back to some kind of a local uh, oversight instead of having the the national government trying to make a uh, trying to be the focus of the answer for everything that we do, for every ill, for every uh, for every problem that we want to immediately turn uh, to people that are thousands of miles away for our answer. Instead of solving it, needs money or somebody needs uh, uh, housing or uh, they need a hand up. They need some money for some extra money for groceries, and it should be a local thing. It shouldn't be uh, it shouldn't be processed uh, by a national government, and it's and uh, which has to uh, which is riddled with corruption. I mean, I think that the national government has shown that they that they are they are a complete failure at almost every single project they've run. Absolutely. And yet they demand they demand to be put in control of more and more projects. Oh, absolutely. But you know that's the that's the reaching of big government. You know, and and then the other thing too is that you know these wars and 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 whatnot. Look look how our good name has been 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 sullied now with with the shenanigans that's been gone on over the last ten years. And 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 go back going back even further maybe even to Vietnam and, 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 and the, 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 um, the implications of all of that. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the, the big contractors, the military and the industrial complex are making themselves very, very rich. But there's another thing, too, that, you know, we may need to think about in terms of the uh, more sinister aspects of, um, A, sullying our name so that anything bad then that happens to us people would turn around and say, well, they had it coming. And, right. um, and, and, and B, you know, this, this idea that these regions that we go into become destabilized, produce extremists that want to then come and, and, and lay waste to our nation, which then causes a knee-jerk reaction to further erode our liberties. I mean, it's, it's almost like full-spectrum dominance. Uh, they get they get it at both ends. They get the money from the military industrial complex, and then politically, 
our rights become eroded because because of their destabilization um, that we, we 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 end up losing our liberties. I mean, look at the 1934 National Firearms Act banning machine guns, and that was due to things like the the Valentine's Day massacre, which was caused by prohibition, which was caused by the government. So right. again, you you have this 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 problem reaction solution. You know, they they create the problem. There's a the, the people who are asleep come running for help, and you know they go to the government. Um, and, 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 then, and then the government then imposes a new set of rules which takes away from our, our liberties and our freedoms. I mean, you were talking earlier on about, you know, the checkpoints inside the American border um, of, of, you know, these goon squads checking for papers and stuff. Well, that was a product of the, the Patriot Act, you know. Um, and, and, of course, they, they come up with these fancy names like the Patriot Act for these things that are anything but representing patriotism, just like the Affordable Health Care Act, which is now becoming not affordable. I mean, they, they play all these mind games with people. But, you know, we have to realize that there is a vast uh, percentage of the population which are completely asleep, will really believe anything that's spoon-fed to them. Um, you know, the food that are eaten is bad. Um, they're, under, they're under some sort of, you know, mind control from, from what, what both, sides I think are guilty of, of talking both on the left and the right and pitching us against one another um, in this sort of false fight and, and, and you know I you know the goal is to try and break that sort of condition well you uh, you were talking earlier about uh, about Ireland being uh, uh, moving into socialism and Marxism how do you think how do you think that that happened? Well, it's again Ireland is kind of almost like a a, a, a blueprint for uh, control, control, a lot of control mechanisms. Um, when I was growing up, you know, and this was just income tax, but sixty-five um, percent of my father's wages went to pay the government um, to pay people who were literally on a government dole. Um, you know, who weren't, uh, who were receiving unemployment, and these were well incapable people. I mean, I understand people need a need a hand up every now and again. You know, they may have lost their job. You know, they're 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 in um, they're in a, a bit of a bind. You know, and they 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 need maybe a, a you know maybe some sort of assistance. But the problem is in Ireland when I was growing up, there was this culture of, um, well, if I get to work. And I put in my 40 hours, and the tax rate is so high, but uh, Jimmy next door to me isn't working at all, and he's getting all his government benefits. Well, then I shouldn't really bother. So that's what kind of socialism does when, they, when you take something from somebody's uh, uh, productivity, when somebody's labor, and give it to somebody else who may or may not deserve it. That's a, a moral question. You know, that's a whole other debate on whether or not morally right. deserve it. But just the mere act of taking, taking, not, not asking if you can contribute or allowing somebody to, by free will, give their labor or fruits of their labor to somebody in need, but just take that and give it to somebody and create this culture of where you, 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 you don't have um, a lot of motivation. And then people are then constantly looking to the government 
as a solution. They're the ones that's who it. are giving me the check. They're the ones that's, who are That's where we're me. headed. That's, that's where exactly we're where we're headed. We've got yeah, uh, yes. over 51% of Americans now are directly being supported uh, by the federal government. Now, some of those folks are working for their money. Uh, they're federal employees and stuff, but they are still uh, they are still being supported by the government. And you know, once once a nation gets to the point where it is taught that it can vote to give it get a paycheck, then the the nation is is uh, signing its own death warrant. If they can vote, if the people can vote to give their self money, then they're going to do that. And uh, and the nation, the government has no way of uh, producing money other than taking money from its citizens in the form of taxes at the point of a gun. Uh, then uh, it's certainly going to spiral in. Now, we were also uh, talking a minute ago about the uh, getting alternative uh, information, uh, like from the, from the Internet. I just wanted to really quickly rule, uh, read a, about a recent ruling here. The, uh, uh, the federal court, uh, the U.S. District Court for the District of uh, Columbia, uh, just recently shot down claims, Department of Homeland Security, which stated that revealing the agency's capability uh, to use an Internet shutdown plan during, quote, national crises uh, should be exempt from public disclosure. And what they're saying is that the, uh, the federal government has plans uh, to, if need be, to completely shut down the Internet uh, during a national crisis, uh, but they are refusing to reveal uh, what it would take to do that, what they're going to do. What it's called is the kill switch uh, protocol or the standard operating procedure 303. And uh, this is a plan set in place, uh, which is an emergency wireless protocol which would be able to shut down, and it would also include the shutdown and the restoration process, all of our uh, Internet ability if there were some type of uh, uh, what they determined to be a crisis. Uh, back in July of uh, 2012, uh, uh, President Obama signed the assignment of national security and emergency. I'm going to... Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut your your uh, I'm gonna just put you on on the back in the queue for just a minute, Mr. B. Uh, we're getting so much noise bleed over. Uh, President Barack Obama signed the Assignment of National Security and the Emergency Preparedness Functions Executive Order, authorizing the Department of Homeland Security to take control of the country's wired and wireless communications, including the Internet, in emergency situations. That means if the government declares it to be an emergency of the, uh, of the situation where they declare it's an emergency, then they will shut down 
all of our ability to communicate either by wireless or wire communications. That's all of the uh, the telephone systems, the internet, every uh, all of the wired and wireless uh, communications and traffic. Uh, the signing of this bill is uh, actually accompanied by really no acknowledgement at the initial reports uh, of the on the order really started causing a steer. And uh, uh, President Obama addressed the complaints by calling the executive order a nas- uh, necessary tool for America's national security. That means if he thinks it's if he thinks it's needed or warranty, warranted, that we will shut everybody uh, in America up. Uh, the uh, White House spokesman, Caitlin Hayden, of the Washington Post, this, that the order recognizes the creation of DHS and provides the secretary the flexibility to organize the communication systems and functions that reside within the Department of Homeland Security uh, and that uh, Homeland Security Secretary Janet uh, Napolitano believes will be most effective. Now, Hayden added that the order does not transfer authorities between or among the departments, but that the order does indeed allow DHS to establish and implement control over even privately owned communication systems, uh, including all of the internet service providers, such as Time Warner, Time Warner Verizon, uh, Comcast, everyone, if the administration believes it's warranted for security's sake. Uh, so the the kill switch. Now, this was like I said. This came back. Uh, this came back about in the, uh, the summer of uh, 2012. That's when we first started hearing about that. But what we're hearing now is that the court is ordering to reveal uh, the plan that they're planning to use. The uh, the reasons that they would do it and how they planned to do it, like who who they would shut off and why. And uh, Homeland Security is saying that, uh, that the American public does not need to know that. And so right now there's a, a fight is going on between the uh, district court there in Columbia and Homeland Security. And Homeland Security is saying, you guys don't need to know any of the details about how or why we're going to do this because that is protected because uh, the uh, it's protected under the the protocol that we would use uh, for techniques for law enforcement investigations or prosecutions. I was trying to say that it's a protected tell us, but uh, the District of Columbia Court is uh, is disputing that. All right. Well, mm-hmm. listen, uh, Sam... And Mr. B, I want to thank you guys both uh, for calling yeah. in tonight, and uh, I really appreciate that. And uh, the other callers, uh, thank you guys for calling in. 
where we had originally planned to have uh, uh, Sheriff Mack on tonight and uh, uh, Stuart Rhodes from Oath Keepers. <clears throat> we'll try and get them rescheduled for this next week. They both had uh, uh, they both had commitments they couldn't get out of. Uh, but uh, both you guys, uh, Sam and Mr. B, uh, you guys are welcome to call in uh, any time. And uh, we'll yes, see sir. you guys uh, next uh, Thursday, uh, 7 p.m. And uh, until then, uh, God bless and uh, keep you. And once again, Mr. B, welcome to America. All right, sir. Thank you, sir. Take care now. Be your true patriot. Right. You too. Thank you, guys. Thanks a lot. Okay, everybody else, I want to thank you guys uh, for calling in. Uh, and we'll see you guys uh, next uh, Tuesday, 7 p.m. Central. Thank you, Sam D., for uh, helping me out with the show. Some God bless you all. Make it.